Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Richard Lummis is on assignment this week, so I'm joined by Nick Gallo, and we take a look at Doris Kearns Godwin's class on leadership in the master class. We consider leadership lessons from Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson, and Abraham Lincoln. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm extraordinarily pleased to have with me Tom Pilati. In addition to being another Tom, which makes it cool in and of itself, he's a former uh, high school distance runner, and we're going to actually get into that. I don't get to meet too many of those anymore, and he's actually close to my age. So that's three-plus stars from me right off the bat. So Tom, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time uh, to visit with me today. Man, Tom, thank you so very much. Uh, as, as we talked about last week, I've been excited all week waiting for this and uh, really, really excited to be here today. Tom, in uh, reviewing uh, information on you and getting prepared for this podcast, it really struck me that although one might say you're in the business of sales training, I see what you, the skills you're teaching in a much broader sense. I see leadership. I see listening. I see uh, corporate officers uh, who can utilize many of these skills. So could maybe I start with a basic question of uh, to ask you about your work and why do you see sales training as so key to, to really any type of business? Well, what I've found, I think the unique spin, Tom, that I've been fortunate enough or blessed to be able to bring to the table with my clients was that because I developed and taught myself from the ground up, I would offer my clients field training. So when I would go to a client, let's say in Indiana, and more times than not, the president, vice president, general sales manager, they really have no clue what's going on in the sales department except what they're being told, which 90% of the time is a bunch of hogwash. So when I get in the car and I'm riding with what they deem to be as a star seasoned sales rep and they can't make a presentation, it comes back to the fact that we all now know that all they're doing is churning accounts. So from from the field training aspect, you can't really get over on me because I'm there teaching them and then asking them to replicate that. So what happens is it's it's there's you know it's a funny story, Tom. I had my 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 two dogs when I lived in Marietta, Georgia, I had a big fenced yard and it was a hedge line all the way around the yard. And the dogs kept getting out. And there was a pretty big main road close by. So that kind of disturbed me. So one day I said, you know, enough. And I and I leveled, I chainsawed all the bushes down to the ground. And lo and behold, there were the two holes that they were crawling under. The point of that being, we can't fix what we can't see. So being able to have an objective set of eyes, to be able to know what the marketplace is requiring of a business and then connecting those two things together is really where I thrive in being able to 
put a fresh set of eyes on a uh, on a business situation that, again, the folks in the ivory tower are usually oblivious to it, and salespeople are very adept at telling the folks that sign their paychecks exactly what they want to hear, which lends itself to kind of really a stagnation. Tom, I want to translate that into some compliance speak because you said something incredibly important, I think, which is people do not think of training as an opportunity for continuous improvement. But because of the training you put on, and more importantly, your listening skills and the feedback you got in that training, you were able to give actionable information to senior management about the either the, I guess, the status of the corporate training program and what they were being told, and they could actually make an improvement based upon your sales training. Uh, and, you, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, the, I guess the biggest challenge that I've found is sometimes it would require one, two, maybe three nights of drinking beer with them, Tom, before they would finally, uh, this is the olden days, of course, before they would finally realize that, you know what, Tom, you're right. And, you know, no one likes change, okay? And no one likes their toes stepped on. But I've kind of made a career of telling my clients the hard truth because I've never had a desire to be a yes man either. You know, my Kool-Aid tastes really good. And if you drink my Kool-Aid, you're going to enjoy the results of that Kool-Aid. And again, I'd rather opt to not have a client that just wanted to hear what they wanted to hear because in essence, I prefer to be judged on performance. I prefer to be judged on the scoreboard. And if what you're able to do quickly is able to move the needle and I, I've got an uncanny ability to teach what I've got and to reach people where they're at, whether it's a CEO or a brand new salesperson, so that it can be spoon fed and actually be able to put into use every single day. It shouldn't have to be rocket science. It's very user friendly. But sometimes, like anything, one new idea could literally be worth a million bucks. Here's a question that uh, I want the answer to as an I, me. Uh, so I'm going to pose it to you, which is why do most people think they understand, who think they understand media sales continue to miss it by a mile? Because basically what they're doing is let's, um, let's, say, let's say you're in billboard advertising sales and the 99.9% of the sales representatives inclusive of company ownership and upper management are out selling empty space. Tom, would you like me to send you a bill for $1,200 a month, not knowing what's going to happen? You're in in charge of the creative. I'm just hustling empty space, empty air. And let's both hope that you get some results. And by the way, could you sign up for a year of sending me $1,200 without any inclination of what in the heck that media is going to do? And what I learned from right out of college was, let's say, uh, Tom, let's say you're in the glass and window tinting business. And I come to you and say, hey, Tom, uh, I'm in the I'm the billboard guy locally. I've got a billboard down the road from you. Then you know what? If you put up this idea that I have in my head, which a, you know, Cheech and Chong Mexican looking guy with finger pointing at the traffic going by, almost like Uncle Sam saying, I want you, except your headline reads, I'll tint your car for ninety nine ninety five and create a piece of art slash campaign. When you sell an idea, people judge the entire package. I teach people not to go in and just sell their product. You've got to sell a campaign and or a merchandising 
solution that salespeople can go out into the field and create sales. If you don't have anything to tell me that's new and relevant, why would you come to me? Same thing with businesses. I don't care if we're selling reams of copy paper. We need to either run a sale. Most businesses are very inept at merchandising their own wares, so to speak. Um, if you and I were going to go buy a big screen TV today, would we walk into Best Buy, walk up to one, and really not look for uh, the $2,000 TV that we could buy as an open box for 1200 bucks? Logic being everybody wants a deal. And until you frame your offering in such a way that it's a deal, oh my goodness, Tom, this is an exceptional value, it makes the decision process as simple as yes, no, or next. And I always qualify people with Mr. Customer. This idea will cost you $1,200 a month, but if I'm bringing you in a new client every single week that makes you, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars and now the word is getting out, we have to do it in an ROI type standpoint, no matter what it happens to be. I like advertising because it gives us the ability to be extremely creative. But if you're selling hard goods, again, the olden days of just charming people with your personality to get them to buy a box of widgets, it just doesn't happen anymore. There has to be a backstory. There has to be a reason for me to reach out to you, whether it's online via text and say, look, Tom, I know you're a busy executive, but I've got, you know, widgets that you use and we're offering a new client special that offers you a, a box of widget, get a half a box free as a get acquainted special. That's the only way there has to be a way. I call it the brick through a window. There has to be a way to crash through to get someone's attention. And if we look at social media, I used to proclaim that the attention, the crash through was four seconds. It's probably down to about eight-tenths of a second now with the way that we've been groomed and programmed and uh, as we're all addicted to either LinkedIn feeds. So the game, the dynamic is getting tighter and faster. And unless you are training, prepping, standing there throwing that football every single day so on game day you can connect those 30-yard passes, your competitor is going to eat your lunch. And so I, I concur with your posture of promoting training uh, because it's it's again unless we remain teachable we become stagnant and I and I know I'm being it's a long answer to what you've asked Tom but the 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 biggest the biggest uh, let's say illness in business today is complacency and most people just roll over and say hey that's just how we've done it it is the uh, far and few innovator that says, hey, you know what, business as usual ain't going to cut it, especially with all we're dealing with now. Well, and that really leads to the next point I wanted to explore with you, which is, once again, in, in researching you and your company a little bit, it seems to me that these skills that you've been talking about are as important for literally any type of career growth as almost any other type of training you might take. And, and that leads into what do you teach in these skills seminars? The skills that basically I do, I guess what I think you teed it up in our interview prior to talking, was that you really need to, in today's marketplace of electronic communication, one really needs to become what I refer to as a communication artist, okay? You really need to be able to choose your words, frame your message in a way that people are actually going to respond to. I can't tell you how many times I look over the shoulders 
of salespeople within organizations or marketing departments, Tom, they're still sending out three-paragraph sales letters. Come on, man. First and foremost, you and I both know our eyes are going to roll to the back of our head after the first sentence. So what I do, again, I take a different spin and say, listen, if we know what the customer's thinking, why not just address these things right off the rip? Mr. Customer, I know you're busy. I know you're looking for a deal. I've got a deal, and here it is. And then here's, I'll give your listeners, this is probably the best and uh, most valuable piece of advice we can give. You know, now we're forced to have to master electronic marketing where you don't even get to speak to people. But this simple trick and technique will literally put a 20% increase into your sales department if executed. So if I were selling you rubber chickens, I have that in my book. And, 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 and again, your readers are welcome to, uh, excuse me, your listeners, my mistake, Tom, will are, are welcome to a free copy. But if you're selling rubber chickens and I send you four paragraphs on why you should buy my rubber chickens, it's the latest latex, the colors are so pretty, nobody cares. We both know, nobody cares. However, if we're able to send something, and if it is a viable prospect, and say, hey, Tom, I've got a new line of rubber chickens. They will help make you a lot of money. Is this something you'd like to talk about? Question mark. It's engagement. It's the same as pay-per-click. It's the same as digital marketing. And if I sent you that three-sentence email, and you even had a remote interest in my offering, I'm asking you to to make a response. Yeah, Tom, I'd like to know a little bit more. And all we can hope for, in my humble opinion, is a single move of a chess piece. And that's how we win the game. It is a chess game. You're not going to get a sale from the first communication. But people, business owners, prospects are looking to see first and foremost, is this person who's trying to sell me something have a modicum of common sense do they really feel or do does it appear that they want to help me? And if so, okay, I'll give you 10 seconds. Tell me more. And every time we communicate with them, we have to have more to the story so that we are a masterful trial attorney building our case to where we're not, we're not going in circles trying to flim-flam them with a sale. And, you know, I like to refer is that I, I create – my students and my clients, that they have to conduct themselves as a $1,000 an hour sales and marketing person. And if I'm reaching out to you, it's been a very deliberate reason. I'm not just reaching out to 100 people trying to sell financial services and hope that one person writes me back. So being deliberate, having your people be able to use communications that are designed to get an intelligent response and designed to make your people look like they know what they're doing, and they're dialed into today's economy. Tom, I've been doing a lot of podcasts uh, during the time of coronavirus, and one of my observations has been that trends that we saw perhaps in 2018 and 2019 have been accelerated almost exponentially. And in listening to you speak about uh, the electronic components of sales, once again now, and where we are, in record- we're recording this podcast in mid-August, uh, we still do not have a lot of face-to-face contact. How have you seen or what changes has the corona health crisis meant for the people that you counsel? 
What I see to be the biggest disconnect is that, for example, I have a very, very large media company in the Northwest that is that is still under the cloud of the sky is falling, civil unrest, um, you can't come in my building, which is all understandable, and I get that. But when I get the stethoscope out and put it on this customer, he's dealing with, on an occupancy level of available, let's say, commercial real estate, he's only got 30 or 40 percent filled. There's 60 to 70 percent vacancy left on the table. So do you really just sit there and wait three years until an uptick in commercial real estate? Or do you design a program to get those things rented, sold, leased, rent, whatever it happens to be today? That's what I don't understand. And I don't know if it's that he watches too much TV or people feel that it's an unattainable goal. I'm here to tell you, I I am involved in a number of different enterprises that rely on selling stuff to people I'll never meet because of the level of communication. That's really it in a nutshell. We have to be, we, ha- we can't wait for a solution. We need to design the solution. I use this in my seminars, Tom. I'm the guy that's going to jump off the cliff and build my wings on the way down. You've got to jump. There's no other way. Is that message res- resonating at this point in time? It is slowly but surely because I think the fear, panic, and how are we going to do this with a video conference or someone calling in a play or two from the sidelines is, is not rational. Uh, it's not rational because if you gave me a, a new salesperson from your company – I would probably have them out tracking or chasing your number one salesperson within 90 days, literally, because of giving them the components. Here's who you talk to. Here's what you say. And here's how you say it. It's like if we were to learn how to play golf, we're a successful golf player if we develop a swing that repeats. So you don't have most salespeople or most companies are relying on the marketing department to always have to be on and make a unique performance of their presentation. I teach companies to come up with a model that repeats. And using your own personality and and, and interpersonal skills, that's where it gets fun. I'm a little rough around the edges, but that's what makes me shine. I don't want to be somebody I'm not. I do, however, have both guns loaded with help, and I will show you what I can do to help you and demonstrate that very, very quickly. And every single salesperson, every single sales and marketing department, I don't care if you're 3M, all the way down to the window tint guy, the model never changes. It can't. Let me see if I can tie that process-oriented approach into something you said a little bit earlier in the podcast. Does that process, at the end of the process, provide either metrics, numbers, or documentation that then can be looked at, analyzed, and utilized for continuous uh, monitoring and continuous improvement going forward? Let's go back to a, a another company that, again, it was commercial real estate. It doesn't matter what the product is. But when, when, when nothing is measured, there's no way to determine. So what I typically do, I'm the guy that comes into your company and walks down the hall and kicks the garbage can. Why? Because 
that 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 ether needs to be worn off. That that we do things this way is just the way it is. We're we're okay with 2.3% annual growth. Man, that's hogwash. What I do is I get buy-in from the top so it flows down. I'll go into either their sales room or buy the break room and I create what is a war room mentality. Okay? This company had uh, a, a glut of commercial properties in the worst part of town that had been emptied and, and vacant for a very long time. We put in a boot camp initiative. It was me, two seasoned salespersons, and two new novice salespeople. And we collectively, through this initiative, leased out 50 vacant commercial properties in 28 days. Now, what happened was on this war board, this whiteboard, we started with that number. Wouldn't you know that the CFO of the company made a habit of walking past that board probably four to five times a day because it was actually a descending ticker tape because every two or three days that number was coming down dramatically until we reached our goal. If you get that level of enthusiasm and excitement bred back into an organization, enthusiasm is contagious and enthusiasm sells, if that makes any sense. So, Tom, on your, I think on your LinkedIn profile, I saw that you were a high school track athlete and you ran cross country. So I have to ask you, what were your events and uh, uh, both on the track and uh, distances you ran in cross country? Sure. Uh, I was, um, my, my dad is, uh, was a, a New York City uh, police officer for some reason. They uh, would not allow me to play football, Tom, and I carried that grudge for a long time because I was very fast and I got to watch all my friends get all the girls and all the Saturday and wearing their jersey. So I, um, I elected to participate in track and cross country. And I guess it's a uh, that, that desire for either acceptance or wanting to win and excel. A lot of us that were not brought up in uh, – you know, uh, homes with recognition. That was my outlet to succeed. And I guess I had a natural aptitude. I, uh, I would win without going to practice. <laughs> so that, that made it a little even more challenging, but long distance, it was, uh, it was a mile to five miles in cross country. How I did it today at 59 years old, Tom, I can't even begin to tell you. I get winded walking along the beach here and, and had actually with track and field, um, it was the shorter distances. I, I, I ran in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York City when I was a freshman with the varsity track team. Um, I had state records and school records, and um, it was it was a natural for me. And I think that that in, in, in racing, per se, you had a short period of time to produce a needed result. And um you know, I use this example a lot, but to define my DNA, it was a state final, 100-yard dash, a lot of bigger and badder people than me. I think I was in 10th grade, and our high school in New York was 10, 11, 12. Cinder track, lined up in the starting blocks, the gun went off, bang, I fell right on my face. And I'm like, oh, and this was a, this was a final final. So I looked, I got up. And I literally came from behind to win. So I think that that DNA of tenacity has always served me. And, you know, we talked about, too, don't ever tell me it can't be done because I'll prove you wrong. 
because it can be done. It's the mindset. It's the taking off the blinders. And it's the ability to know that you can accomplish it and, and, and don't give up until you do. So it's just the mindset that I use in my daily personal uh, faith and, and more importantly, work life. It's just, you know, it's it, from what I've been through in the recovery sector of my life. It's uh, don't tell me it can't be done. Tom, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted any more information about you or your services or more information on your book, where could they go? If you'll go to my website, it's Tom at Tom Pilotti, P is in Peter, I-L-O-T-T-I. Um, you can message me there. Uh, I'm all over Google. You can message me at Tom at TomPilotti.com. And the interesting thing is, too, Tom, what I what I would like to give your listenership is, man, if you're in a situation where you don't have a budget, you can't afford you know, a top national trainer, um, just call me, just write to me. We'll sit and have a conversation and I'll help you. I had a young man reach out to me from a copy of my book this morning who's been out of work. He's, he's, he's gone. He can't find anything. So now I'm going to insert him into one of the channels that I work with in financial services and I'm going to, and I'm going to help the guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent in nowadays with all the unrest in the country, Tom, is that if we give our best selves away, we're never going to go hungry. So I try to, uh, if somebody needs help, I will clear the deck to make time for them. God will never, ever let us go hungry if we're helping the next person. I I may be crazy, but it's working for me so far. Well, Tom, this has just been a a ton of fun and a fascinating uh, visit with you. I hope that uh, perhaps in the future I might be able to call upon you again. Anytime you need me, Tom, I would love to be of service to you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.